Well, good evening and welcome to the leadership class coined the heart of leadership. It's going to be exciting. Look at somebody and say, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, but make sure they don't sleep. But I've got a good accent to keep you all awake. <laughs> I don't, but he'll carry that. <laughs> all right, my name is Tondurai. Um, if you can spell that, I think there are points that you might get. If you can spell out my name, Tondurai. And you get extra points if you can spell my last name, Basopomoyo. Okay? So if you can spell those two, they're points. Now, what you do with those points, I have no idea. But you do get points if you're able to spell that. And uh, if you can say this in a language that is out of my country, which is Zimbabwe, you say, Kawe Lamakau. No. No? All right. That's King of Kings. That's how you say King of Kings. Kawe Lamakau. Fun, right? Fun. All right, let me tell you more about myself. I'm originally from Zimbabwe in Southern Africa. I came here in 2005, and I went to Victory Bible Institute out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I got my diploma in practical ministry. And back in Zimbabwe, I was a youth pastor, and I served in ministry from 1999 to 2005, and it was an awesome time. Uh, when I left, I came here in 2005. My hope was to just not do anything. I was like, God, it's time for me to just shut it down, go to a place where nobody knows who I am, and just kind of hide and mingle within the crowd. But the Bible says the call and the gift of God is without repentance. Mm -hmm. So the time came when God said, I'm just going to have to pull you out and put you back out there to begin yeah. to do ministry. So um, just being grateful that New Song is giving me the opportunity to once again be able to use uh, the gift and the call of God on my life. So to you, ma'am. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Haley Wilson. I'm not from somewhere quite as cool. I'm from <laughs> Dallas. Um, <laughs> but I did move here, um, man, four years ago to go to school at ORU in Tulsa. So I have a weird degree. I have a degree in media and journalism. But the first two years of my degree were done in theology. So I kind of have this like weird half and half righty Bible study. Y'all will see that in a minute when we get into teaching. Um, I've been in ministry since I was like 14, and I've been in an official leadership role at a church since I was 18. I came from Gateway Church. That's where I met Pastor Josh. It's also where I met my husband, Jackson Wilson, who's the youth pastor here. Um, and when we came here for a new song, it was like the best thing ever. <laughs> but I'm super passionate about ministry, the Bible. Oh my gosh, y'all. I could teach a theology class to you right now, but I won't. Um, and I'm super excited to be talking about just these different things with you. I think that leadership and the heart of leadership is something that constantly constantly can be defined and redefined and redefined and redefined that's so right. that's right without further ado all right we're going to begin by prayer because i am nervous can you all tell <laughs> so i need to lean into god and we all need to make sure that god's the one that takes over this class so let's just bow our heads father we just thank you for this time and opportunity that you have given us just to be in your presence and i pray that your word just comes out clear and that father we are in a position uh, in which we receive from you. I pray that the thoughts and the ideas and the minds of men just fall to the ground and not yield any fruit. But that which comes from your table, your word, God, just begins to bear fruit within our hearts and minds and that it grows and bears much fruit and fruit that will last. I thank you for each and every single person that is in this room today and I pray a blessing over their lives as they discover their own personal leadership and the places to which you have called them. And you bless them immensely and bless the families that are also represented here. We thank you and honor you for this time and opportunity. 
and we'll lift you up, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, I guess we're going to just get going here. So we're going to start. Oh, 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 disclaimer. I have an accent. Okay, so when I say certain things in certain ways, that's how you say it. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 46. It's not Isaiah, it's Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10 is where we're going to start from. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10. So the Bible says right here, this is God talking, and he says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. So God introduces this phrase here that we meet in Isaiah chapter 46 and 10. And prior to that, he was talking about idols and how the children of Israel, some of them have taken idols upon themselves and started worshiping them. They mm -hmm. carved these idols with their own hands and then they begin to worship them. <clears throat> and then he is setting out to show us what is the difference between him and an idol. And one of the things that sets God apart from an idol is the fact that he is a God who has vision. Mm -hmm. He knows what he desires and he knows what he sees ahead of time and he brings us to that place. So whenever we're entering into a place of leadership, I'm going to be writing a lot if I can, if this mic will let me. Whenever we are arriving to a place of leadership, vision is going to be essential because vision allows us to see what is not currently but what can be. With our naked eyes, we see what is. We see what the situation is, but vision allows us to project ahead and see what is possible or what could be. And so this is the nature of God, to go ahead and see what is possible and call out the things that are not right now and that will come into fruition. We meet this nature of God in Genesis chapter 1 where the Bible says the earth was formless, void, empty, without structure, without purpose, without definition. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep. And then God begins to speak to create something. God is the only true creator because he creates out of nothing. Yeah. Everybody else is going to create out of something that's already been created. And God is the only one who needs nothing to be able to create. That's good. So in your mind, when you begin to see the places that you can go, have the vision of what you're trying to do, it begins to establish you. What vision does is, can y'all hear me if I just talk out loud because I need to sure. move. Wait, I missed this one. I think I gave you some, some slack here. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you have heard these terms in church. right? Vision gives you the opportunity to actually exercise faith. Because you don't just have faith, just have it. But in vision, it gives you an opportunity to see where God can take you and therefore activate your faith in the direction that God is taking you in. Vision gives you the opportunity To trust. Because you don't yet see 
what is except in your mind's eye and for you to navigate from where you are to the place you are going you are going to have to activate or engage in trusting vision gives you the opportunity to hope because who hopes for what they already have when you don't have something, then you can begin to actually activate hope. Because if you already have it, then there is no place for hope. And vision finally gives us the opportunity to love. Mm. So when you look at these things that are on the board, you will have a lot of experience when you go to church and be taught the need to have faith, the need to trust, the need to hope and the need to love. So many a times people pray and say, God, increase my faith. And the reason why they would say increase my faith is because they don't have a deeper vision. Because if they did, then they would need the faith in order to accomplish the vision. So the reason why we just say increase my faith, and many a times people are thinking, pay my rent. People are thinking, pay my bills. People wow. are thinking, I just need to be able to make it to work on time. Yes, that's a good place of faith. But vision actually allows you to walk in, a, in purpose to where you activate your faith for greater things that will bring the true fulfillment in life. Because this is how he says it. Seek ye first the kingdom and all right so when you're needing that rent to be paid when you're needing that healing to come in activation of vision that is following kingdom principles opens you up to walk in faith that activates a whole lot of things that god has already got for you so i'm going to give you an example something very simple and easy story okay so if I am needing to take somebody to the airport, my wife, I'm going to take my wife to the airport. By the way, she's standing out there looking at me, looking so pretty. Okay. <laughs> so, if I'm needing to take my wife to the airport, before I actually go to the airport, what happens in my mind? I see myself going to the airport. Okay? So, the moment I see myself going to the airport, that is my vision. I have a destination in my mind an end in my mind. I need to have faith that can, I can actually make it to the airport, that my car is actually going to work well enough in order to take me and get me to the airport. I need to trust that the other drivers that are going to be around me are not going to be so crazy. That I'm actually going to be able to navigate around all the obstacles that can come my way in terms of crazy drivers. So I need to activate trust, okay? And then I have hope. Mm. I have hope that I can make it there on time. And the opportunity to take my wife to the airport is showing her that I, I love her. So whenever you're functioning in vision, in something that God has given and activated you, all these things come along with that. So that is the power of vision. Now, this is one statement that you've all heard, right? Everyone is a what? Visionary. 
There you go. You've heard everybody is a leader. Pastor Josh said that on Sunday. Everyone is a leader. So if everyone is a leader, then who is going to follow? Right? Everyone's a leader. What God calls us to do is to lead the vision. By leading the vision well, we begin to allow people to come alongside us who have their own personal visions and we partner with them and we begin to input things in them that they too can achieve their own personal vision. So we manage our vision and we don't manage people. God never created us to have dominion over people. He said, subdue and have dominion over the earth, but not over people. And so when you say, I lead a bunch of people, what you're trying to say, what you need to be saying is, I lead my vision and I partner with people alongside me. And when they do that, they themselves in turn are able to walk in their own vision purpose and calling and so we see this demonstrated by Christ right so Jesus Christ said what did he say he said follow me and I will make you fishes of men right you follow Christ and he makes you a fisher of men so you don't just follow him because he's great and fantastic and he's awesome that's not how it works you follow Christ because he is going to make you a fisher of men. So by following Christ, you are able to activate your own vision, to activate your own purpose and walk therein. So true leadership is the management of vision that allows for me to group and team up with other people who have their own vision. And as we work and combine together, we are all achieving the purpose that God has called us to. So when you think about it, my, my daughter loves the show Peppa Pig. Come on, don't be shy. Who knows Peppa Pig? It's okay. It's a big All right, all right. All right. So there's, there's one episode in Peppa Pig when they're being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they all want to be bosses because they can tell people what to do. That's the job that they're all wanting. So it's kind of interesting that that's how sometimes we see the place and the position and the opportunity of leadership wow. is Am I able to tell people what to do, to go here, go there, do that, and do this? If that is where you're at, then you're not walking in true leadership. Wow. Because a leader develops other people to make them better. Yeah. Right? And Christ does it this way. Right? When Christ goes into heaven, in the book of Mark, what does he say? Greater things than this will you do. So he was not setting up his disciples to do as he did. He was setting up his disciples to do what? Greater things than he did. And so if you're going to walk in true leadership, the people around you need to be elevated. If you are with somebody or partnering with somebody and they're not themselves elevating your own vision and gift, you need to find new people to follow. Because the other thing that vision does, which is the third thing, is vision helps you to know what your yes is and what your no is. The Bible says, narrow 
hope I saw that right. Yep. Is the way to heaven. And wine is the way to darkness. So I always thought, narrow means it's so difficult that very few tiny people are going to make it because it's so tight and we're all going to try and squish into this narrow road. And this one is so white because it's so easy to be bad. So all of us can fit onto that road because we're all bad people. And that was my thinking of this scripture. But God allowed me to see is that vision creates narrowness. Yeah. Because it puts boundaries on your yes and your no. That's so it. narrow is the way to heaven is people that are with vision. Because now they know their yes and you know you know. You know who to associate with and who not to associate with based on the vision that God has given you and the direction that God is taking you. The Bible says without vision, people cast off restraint or they are unrestricted. So that means without vision, the road is wide. That means anything goes. That means you can be easily tossed to and fro by anything that is happening. The next fad the latest thing that's happening and you get tossed in that direction because you have no vision so you are not walking on the narrow path. So that's what the scripture is telling us that narrow is the path. So if you're walking as a child of the living God, you have to have vision. You have to have vision of what God wants to do in your life. The Bible says in Proverbs, many are the purposes of a man's heart, but a man of understanding draws them out. Mm. So that means that we all have purpose in our hearts, but if we do not have understanding, we are unable to draw out that purpose. And when the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. And so if you don't know the purpose that God has set for you in life, then it is easy for you to walk in abuse. And the thing about the abuse is that it is fallen under deception and nobody knows when they're deceived. Nobody says, I'm walking on deception on Wednesday, so I'm not going to make any decisions because Wednesday is deception Wednesday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When you're deceived, you do not know that you are deceived. And it is easier to fall into deception when you lack vision. So what is going to give you discipline, what is going to give you yes and no, is vision. When Jesus was doing ministry, the Bible says they wanted to make him king. But he said no because he knew what was in their hearts. Now, for us, if, if you're doing something great and people say, yeah, we're about to promote you and do great things with you, you're about to say, okay, how much are you going to pay me? Mm -hmm. True. Because if you lack vision, then it's easy for you to jump in because the contract is paying more. Yeah. See, when you have vision, you will know what jobs to take and what jobs not to take. And it's not going to be dependent on the amount of money it gives you but more on the direction that it is going to take you. 
The strength of vision is undergirded by character. We're about to get into that. I, I'm, I can't wait. Hey, I can't wait. But people follow vision and character. People support vision and character. When Pastor Josh stood up and said, hey, we've got 92000 that we need to pay towards the building. That 92000 is not paying a person. If he had stood up there and said, guys, we just need 92000 I mean, it would be good for us to have it. Don't you all think the church needs 92000 At least if we just have 92000 sitting there in our bank accounts, it would be great and awesome and fantastic. He didn't say that. He put vision. And the moment that we saw the vision, it's then easy to support that vision. But it is easily destroyed if you do not have the character to undergird the vision that God has put in your heart and in your mind. And Haiti is about to yeah. jump in here. And yeah, absolutely. Man. Okay, so I do want to say this, and I just feel like this is on my heart after listening. Um, yeah, so vision and character go hand in hand. And when we're talking about the heart of a leader, these are the two things that really stood out to us. Vision and character. And some of you, I noticed, are pretty young in this room. Um, and if you're in here and you're like, I have no idea what my vision is. Like, I have no idea what the vision of what God has for my life is. I encourage you to seek God about that. Um, to seek the kingdom about that. God is not going to be like, nah, you don't get to know. Like, he is all about telling you what he's up to and what he wants to be up to in your life. So if you just heard all that and you're like, yes, yes, oh my gosh, what's my vision? <laughs> Turn to God about it and I promise you that you will get an answer. You will get direction. And when you get that vision, write that sucker down. That's right. Um, and go for it. Okay, so vision and character. I told you guys when I was saying who I am that I love theology. So it's about to get a little theological up in here. Also, I get out of breath really easy because I'm like 30-something weeks pregnant. So <laughs> hang tight. Um, anyway, so I want to talk about character. And I want to start by talking about the character of God, because I think it doesn't matter what our character is if we do not understand who he is first. Um, I want everyone in here, if you have a Bible, and everyone has a phone, so everyone has a Bible, um, <laughs> I want you guys to pull out your Bible and go to Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, and we're going to dissect this for a second, and I think this is a great picture of who God is and what his character is. The coolest thing is, is that God says this. He actually gives us an idea of his character way before Jesus. Like, y'all are probably like, what? Character dog? Character of dog? Character of God? We need to be looking in the Gospels, right? And I think that's true. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to start you guys here in the Old Testament because I think it's really important to see who God is and who God says that he is. So a little bit of backstory for you about Exodus 34. Anyone know the golden calf incident? Israelites? That kind of stuff? Yeah, everyone, right? I was school, Sunday school as a kid. Israelites are free from Egypt, and they do this thing where they're waiting on God, and while they're waiting, they, like, build one of those idols, just like you were saying, and they worship it, and God's like, what? And everyone else is like, why did you do that? You guys are so dumb. And anyway, God basically, Ten Commandments, all that. Moses goes back up the mountain after that incident, and that's where Exodus 34 takes place, okay? So God's upset because of the golden calf incident, which makes sense. It's crazy. Um, and Moses is saying, no, God, we need you. We need your presence. And Moses does this crazy thing. He does kind of like what I was just saying. He asks God to show God him. He says, God, I want to see you. Like, I really want to see you, like literally with my eyes. And God says, okay, okay, okay. I will come by the mountain and you can see me because I love you and I trust you. 
but you can't see my face because you'll die because of my glory. So <laughs> I'll just show you my back. And so this statement in Exodus 34 is what God says when he shows Moses his back. And this is why I say this is the character of God, because this is what Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, our God, wanted the only guy who's ever seen him to know about him. It says this, As the Lord passed in front of Moses, he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Y'all are like, that verse started really good. (laughs) And then it got weird. We're going to get there. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. Number one. God is predictable. If you're taking notes, write that down. The character of God. God is predictable. This verse in Exodus is actually the most quoted verse in the entire Bible in itself. So it happens in Exodus, and then if you continue to read the Bible, this verse is all over the place. People constantly quote this verse because it's what everybody knows to be true about Yahweh. He is predictable, and he wanted to be predictable. He wanted to tell people who he was so that they could know, I can trust that God is compassionate, he is gracious, he is slow to anger, he is abounding in love, he is faithful. All of that before Jesus. That is a character quality that I think as a leader we have to take from God. People need to not be walking around us as leaders concerned about if we're going to fall off the deep end or, or walking on eggshells because we might blow up here, but we're nice over here. Like, we need to be predictable in the way that it's like, this is who I am. Okay, so God is predictable. I want to break down a few of these things. The first thing God tells us is that he's compassionate. So what does that word actually mean? Um, in the Hebrew, the word is rakum. I did not say that right. <laughs> It's related to the Hebrew word for womb, which is actually crazy. So, essentially, this description is specific. God compares himself, in his own words, to a loving, compassionate mother with a womb. God considers himself compassionate like a mother would be to their child in their womb. That's something we know about God's character. Number two, he says that he's gracious. And Pastor Josh said this best. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. God's gracious character is of himself. It's not earned by us. He says this to Moses. He doesn't say, you earned my grace. He says, I am gracious. Then he tells us this. He says he's slow to anger. And the basic idea of this phrase, slow to anger, is that you can make God mad. You can't. He's slow to anger. That doesn't mean he's not of anger. He's not a God who's never angry. I'm sure that'd be great. (laughs) But would it, I mean, when you're in a relationship with somebody, you don't want them to not show you anger ever. And you're like, well, why? Well, because if somebody withholds anger from you and never tells you when you've done something that's crossed the line or upset them, are they being honest and vulnerable with you? So we serve a God that is honest and vulnerable, and that's why he's slow to anger. You can make God mad, but you really have to work for it. God's not a fly-off-the-handle, temper crazy God. He's not fiery and upset with us, but he is slow to anger, which means that we can make him mad. It is possible. So that may lead you to ask, what makes God upset? Well, he tells us at the end of verse 7, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. What did I say? God's predictable. He's not keeping not from us. He's not like, I'm slow to anger. Figure that out. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's slow to anger, but here are the things that we can do 
that God is not okay with. And even Jesus, we see, has a healthy response of anger. Think of the story of the table, and there's actually like a wimp in that story. It's kind of crazy. But God's anger is mature. It's a healthy response to corruption and evil. That's right. So it's the other thing he tells us. He's abounding in love. That means that he's spilling over in love. And this kind of love is not just a repetition of the word compassion, right? Compassion is a totally different concept. This love that he's talking about is a covenant love for the people of God. And we can't fully wrap our minds around it. It's a Jesus to the cross kind of love. And it says he's abounding in love to thousands. He's abounding in faithfulness. This word in Hebrew actually means truth. It's a way of saying trustworthy. Um, God's saying in this verse that you can count on him. He's abounding in faithfulness. You can count on the God Yahweh. He will not let you down. And finally, at the end of this verse, we get this description of justice. Um, God is just. He disciplines the guilty as long as they remain guilty. So the end of this verse is tricky. It says forgiving. Now, God doesn't just forgive. He doesn't just forgive because he has to. He says that he's forgiving because forgiving is actually part of God's character. He's forgiving without us needing to be forgiven. That's right. Um, the phrase, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, at the end of verse 7, is actually a rough translation. It's kind of better said, but who will by no means clear the guilty? God is in his nature ready to forgive, because it's part of his character. He's not unjust, though, and he's not going to forgive someone who's not willing to be forgiven. And I want to touch on this really quickly before I finish this verse, because I know the end when they're like the third and the fourth generation. It's like, wait, what? Like... It's a little confusing, like, wait, so, like, if I, then that means, like, you know. Um, I don't want to leave a hole here about scripture as we dissect this verse, but all this stuff about God punishing children in the third and the fourth generation, it's essentially a message uh, through this line of scripture that's more about continued sin than it is about specific sin. And this is, again, a whole theological thing I don't want to go too far off on. I just want to let you guys know. You don't need to worry about like what your parents did or whatever. Um, <laughs> there are aspects to that, but Jesus shows us the meaning of this verse in John chapter 9. So if you read this and you want to know more about that, you can go read John chapter 9. Jesus talks about this, how it's not about the parents' sin. Um, I'd love to get into that, but it really has nothing to do with leadership. So write that down if y'all are interested in that. But just so you know, God is just. That is the point of that in the verse. He is a just God. He cares about justice. That's why we should care about justice. So we could dive a whole lot deeper into these ideas, but for now, I think it's safe to stop there. If you want a good definition of the character of God to replicate in yourself, that verse is a really great place to start. Now, remember, this definition is from God himself. And like I said before, it's the character we see talked about and shown over and over and over and over again throughout the entire Bible. So now that we know this about God's character... I want to take a second and look at the ideal character that God chooses to use in the biblical narrative. Who's the ideal leader for God? If you're wondering, that would be Jesus. <laughs> no one else. <laughs> God uses so many people in the Bible, and I think we could look at a lot of their characteristics. But Jesus is the only one we know of that lives without sin and without fault. The question is, what would Jesus do? It's, it's very safe to say that if you look at that understanding and did a direct comparison to the character of Jesus in the Gospels, Everything that Yahweh says about himself would line up with who Jesus is, too, on earth. But Jesus was fully man, so he had to decide to do that. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 9, says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, 
He did not think of himself equally with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. What I want to point out to you in this verse is it says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So we know about God's character. We know that Jesus reflects God's character as a man perfectly on earth. But what does that mean to us as leaders? It means we have to have this same attitude as Christ. Above all else, leadership is influence. We all have influence, whether we realize it or not. And what makes a great leader is how we use that influence to impact the people around us. To replicate Jesus as a leader here on this earth is not possible unless you know who Jesus was as a leader here on this earth. And what does that mean? It means we got to be reading about it. It means we got to be studying about it. we got to be in the Word, figuring out what would Jesus do in this situation? What did he do here? How do we take those characteristics of God and apply them to our everyday character? Because I'll tell you something, our character without God working on it and molding it is honestly not great. How do we reflect a great character as a leader and have the heart of leadership? We seek God, right? So to replicate Jesus on earth, we need to know what he, he was like, what he did. So how does Jesus lead? Y'all probably heard this new song before. He serves. Uh, in Mark 10, verse 43, it says, You are to lead by a different model. If you want to be the greatest one, live as one called to serve others. Amen. We have a saying here in the song about this, and it's anyone can serve, so anyone can be great. He says, if you want to be the greatest, be one who's called to serve. Anyone can serve. So anyone can be great. I think sometimes we get distracted by this idea that we're all leaders and we forget that we're all able to serve. That's the point of being a leader, right? You're serving and growing and bringing vision out of and pointing people towards something, whatever that may be. But I think we get too caught up in, in the power of it all, in the title of it all, that we forget. Jesus says, if you want to be great, be serving. Whatever that looks like. In your area. Um, so that's that's Jesus. He's the greatest example of, the, of what the ideal character looks like for a leader here on this earth that God uses. And I want to talk a little bit about what we see about leadership in the world and the character of leadership that we see in the world. And I'll pass it back over to Tondre. Because I think it's easy to feel like all of this character of God and serving like Jesus stuff is totally against like, real world. <laughs> like, that's Bible, right? I mean, like, there's, like, real world people who, like, don't feel that way. Um, right, so, but at the beginning of Mark 10, when we're talking about being a servant leader, Jesus actually tells us that that's true, that we are going to face people in the world that are not going to think that this is the way to lead. Mark 10, verse 43, like I just said, starts with this. You are to lead by a different model. So the model of leadership and the model of character that we take into this world being followers of Christ is innately different than what the world says it should be. Um, and we all lead in different capacities. So here's an idea of what a different model of leadership looks like based on biblical truth. And I wanna, I wanna say, these are places to start. If you're wondering, how do I take steps to replicate Jesus's character and grow character in myself? These are places for you to start. And I'm gonna hit them pretty quick. 
The first one is this, it's servanthood. We just talked about this. Servanthood is all about giving and not receiving. It's all about giving without thinking that you're going to receive. That is a huge role in the character of leadership. Number two is humility. Not us, but his, his name. Philippians 2 again says he gave up his divine privileges and took on the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. All to God. Humility. Number three is unity. One mind and one purpose. John 17 verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. And that's Jesus. One mind, one purpose, unity. Number four is excellence. Everything we do speaks as a leader. Um, this is something that Jesus lived by. A heart of excellence is better than perfection. Actually, a good example of this is from Daniel. In Daniel 6 it says, Then this, Daniel became distinguished above all other presidents, and I can't say that word, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to send him over to the whole kingdom. And we see this again and again in leaders of the Bible. Excellence is something that carries character. I think this is number five, generosity. We give away what he's given us. Number six is submission. We contribute to the joy of our leadership. Guys, leadership sometimes looks like being led by other people. Um, it looks like being submitted to a leader. Everyone in leadership is submitted to somebody. Even at church, Pastor Josh is submitted to a board of elders. The board of elders is submitted to, it just keeps going and going and going because Everyone is submitted to somebody. Jesus was submitted when he was here on earth. Um, in Hebrews 13, it says, Be responsive to your leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives, and they work under the supervision of God. That means we need to believe our leaders are being led by God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership. Why would you want to make things harder for them? And the last one I want to say is integrity. We always bring the same version of ourselves to every situation. That's what integrity means. It means being the same here and out there and over there. You're always the same. And that's what I was talking about with God's character. When he tells us who he is in Exodus, he doesn't change that. He's still God. He's still God when it comes in Jesus, all the way in Matthew. God has integrity. Jesus has integrity. And as leaders, we need to have integrity. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by duplicity. So I just wanted to give you guys all those because I know they're quick. But when you go and you sit down and you think about this for real, if you're trying to develop your character as a leader, to go through each one of those things and go, where am I missing this? Maybe I'm not, I'm having trouble submitting to this leader. Or I'm obsessed with perfection and I'm not actually working in excellence. Or I don't really know what integrity is, that's new to me. Going into these areas and really figuring out, well, this is where we see this reflected over and over again in Jesus' life. How do I reflect that? Um, it's something that we do here on staff at New Song. We go through all of these every year, and we talk through all these different points for real asking real questions. Where am I missing the mark? What can I do differently? So to sum up this idea of character, I want to send this final point home. God is concerned about the soul of a leader, and so he builds character in us as we pursue That's right. vision. That's right. God is concerned about the soul of a leader. And so he builds character in us as we pursue vision, but we have to be willing. Here's what we know. 
God is concerned about character. That's why he tells us about his own character in Exodus. That's why Jesus was fully man and fully God, and we can relate to him. Character matters, and character sets us apart. In Romans 5, verse 3 through 5, it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. The word for character used in that verse actually means experienced, it means proven, it means proof, it means proven worth. Which is interesting, because this is what I'm saying here. Our worth and proof of our leadership comes from the refining of God on our character. To be more like him. I want to say that again. Our worth and proof of our leadership comes from the refining of God on our character to be more like him. Who we are becoming as we lead is more on the heart of God than the destination of where we're going. Like That's why we didn't spend this class talking much about the accomplishments of godly character. Um, those things speak for themselves. So the pursuit of godly character and the role of leadership is a crafting process. It molds us and it brings us, the leader, through the fire and out the other side to be more like the image of Christ. That's awesome. Again, it's very key here. I mean, what you said, I like that. You know, who, who are you becoming? Yeah. As you're pursuing whatever it is that God is putting on your heart, or whatever it is that you think that you need to be pursuing, the question is, who are you? Because every single challenge that you're going to face, every single obstacle that's coming your way, is really asking the question, who are you? What do you have inside of you? Because what what happens is it, it builds in you abilities that you didn't know you have when you actually when you actually begin to overcome the struggles when you actually begin to overcome the challenges you realize that you there's more to you than what you actually thought and so you actually go through a journey of self-discovery as you begin to meet those challenges listen you don't need Jehovah Rapha the God who heals unless you are sick yeah so you, there has to be somebody sick for us to know that God can heal. There has to be somebody in lack for us to know that he's the God who provides. There has to be somebody who is in a losing battle or a struggling battle for us to know that he is the God who gives us victory. And I, I, I often, when I'm going to Walmart or wherever and I cannot find a parking spot, I always say he's the God of my parking spot. <laughs> because I need him to be the God of my parking spot. So my need is helping me know what can God do. And sure enough, I always find a good parking spot. Because I believe that he's the God of my parking spot. Yeah. So whatever your need is right now, who is he the God of? That's what that issue is, that struggle is, is asking, can God really, is God truly able to overcome for you. And as you begin to see this revelation of God, as he reveals himself by overcoming in every circumstance and situation in your life, you begin to know him. And as you know him, you know yourself. Mm. And you begin to have that self-discovery. So which is why it is essential for character to undergird vision because God is concerned about you. Yeah. In as much as he's concerned about the accomplishment of the vision, the thing that he's concerned about the most yeah. is you. Yeah. So who are you becoming? Who are you? 
And next time you face that struggle, next time you face a situation, next time you face something difficult, you got to ask that question, who am I? Because in you is all the things that God has put in and the circumstances just waiting for you to reveal those things to the, to the situation or whatever it is that you're coming up against. So that was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, so we want to talk a little bit about the challenges uh, that we face whenever we're walking in leadership. Um, I'm going to read Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to 5. Okay, and I want to introduce this concept called self-deception. Um, I think it's very pertinent. Um, I, I read a book by the Arbiter Institute. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception. If you have an opportunity to read that book, it's awesome. And so um, when I thought it was wonderful, every time I think something is wonderful, I'm like, it has to be in the Bible somewhere. Come on, man. the Bible has to have it. And God directed me and showed it to me. So <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to 5. Uh, let me actually do it this way, Romans. Bear with me for a second. Okay. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, yeah. but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ. We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. In your gift, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So, Paul here is talking about the different functions and the different gifts that are uh, in the body of Christ, helping us to understand that we are part of a body and each and every single one of us has something that God has put in that forms a full body. Uh, there is the stomach, there is the hand, there is, there is the feet. There is all these different parts of a body that have different functions. And so because they have different functions, they have different purposes. But it is easy for us to get lost into seeing the parts of the body that are off show and assume those to be more important than the ones that are not. And so what happens in this situation is we can easily fall into a place of self-deception and assuming that only those parts that are showy, only those parts that everybody can see are more important than the others, that we fall into a place in which we are unable to see correctly and begin to judge ourselves more highly than we judge those that are working with us. Mm. Because I am able to talk and speak, you can see me, and then I can assume that I have got some gift that's awesome, that the next person who's not able to sit and talk does not have the same gift as me or the same anointing as me, that I begin to look down upon them because they never have the stage or that place and so I begin to look at myself and think that I am better off than somebody who does not have a showy type of gift. We understand this a little further if we look at 
Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, and I'm not going to read that, but this is the story of Martha and Mary, if you're familiar with it. So the Bible tells us that Martha then, uh, they're hosting Jesus at, 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 at Martha and Mary's house, and Martha then puts it in her mind that she's going to start cooking for Jesus. She's going to start making uh, food for Jesus and preparing the house and making it look all nice. So she puts it in her mind to do that, and then as she begins to do this, she recognizes that no Nobody is helping her. Nobody is coming to her aid to make sure that the food is good. And she's the only one who's doing that. And Mary, her sister, is seating by the feet of Jesus and just listening to the ministry of Jesus. So Martha enters into self-deception. Why? Because she has assumed that the job that she's doing is more important at this time. And that there is no other job that is as important as what she is doing right that moment. So she goes into a place of self-deception where she thinks that what Mary is doing by sitting at the feet of Jesus is wrong. That what Mary is doing is not right. What Mary should be doing is coming to help me. That she even goes and tells Jesus, why don't you tell her to help me? So in her mind, she begins to see everybody that's around her as not making or doing the right call. Have you ever been in that situation when you're sitting there and you're trying to do something, you're trying to clean the house and everybody around you is so not interested in cleaning the house. And so what starts happening in your mind? You start thinking, man, I'm trying to help them out, ensure that this house is clean, ensure that it's right and all they're doing is playing. And you begin to feel your emotions and your heart fester and grow with anger and dissent and you're entering into self-deception. Because in that moment, you then assume that what you're doing is what needs to happen and what everybody else is doing is not the thing that needs to be happening at that time. And so we do this in places of leadership. Where all of a sudden, we do not see people as desiring the same and equal opportunity as us to experience love, hope, trust, and faith. We don't see them as that. We see them as competition. We see them as threats. We see them as wanting to take over from us. We see them as wanting to take a piece of our pie. We see them as these. this person is just trying to get ahead of me and trying to be better than me. And the, the, the truth of the matter is, God says, I am your portion. I am your exceedingly great reward. And so there's nobody that can compete against you because you are made in the express image of God to express God like no other person can. So there is no place in which somebody is going to overtake you or take over from you because God has already apportioned your portion. Yeah, that's good. And so when we enter into this place of self-deception, I see myself as better and the other person as lesser. I see myself as the person walking in righteousness, and I see the other person walking in unrighteousness. I've entered into self-deception. Without even having a conversation with people, we walk around sometimes and we already have a chip on our shoulder, or we already have a feeling about the person that we're seeing. Just by simply looking at how they're dressed and how they're walking and how they're looking, immediately I assume them to be of a particular nature or of a particular way. But the way of God is to bring us together as He brings a body together. The way of God is to say, the eyes alone do not form the entire body. The eyes are going to need hands. They're going to need feet. You're going to need a stomach. You're going to need a head in order for you to accomplish 
the vision that God has set for you in order for you to walk in true leadership. If you don't recognize the need of the people that God has put around you, the leaders that he has called to partner with you, then it is easier for you to fall into a ditch because you do not see clearly. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be aware and you've got to be aware of the partners that are around you. So there are three things that God desires out of man. Three things. Number one is decisiveness. Spell like a Zimbabwean, so if it's wrong, just check the Zimbabwean dictionary if you can find it. That's how it's spelled. Okay, so the three things that God expects out of a man. Number one is decisiveness. Number two is consistency. And number three, strength. Three things that God expects out of a man. Decisiveness, consistency, and strength. There are three things that a woman expects from a man. Decisiveness, Amen. consistency, <laughs> and strength. Three things that a woman expects from a man. Decisiveness, consistency, and strength. There are three things that a man struggles with. <laughs> Decisiveness, consistency, and strength. Have I told you there are three things that a man struggles with? Decisiveness, consistency, and strength. And these are the pit pitfalls. I'm, I'm talking to men. These are the pitfalls that we walk into whenever we assume a position of leadership. Whenever we decide to run with the vision. Whenever we assume responsibility. We're going to struggle with decisiveness. So here's how the conversation goes. What do you want to eat tonight? Uh, I don't know. Where do you want to go? What kind of food do you want? Uh, I don't care. <laughs> In that moment, <laughs> what the woman is asking the man to be is decisive. You have got to have a plan. And so what does the man do? I don't know either. I don't know what you want. So I don't know. Because he is indecisive. But whenever a man has a decision because of the fact that he has vision that's undergirded by character, it helps him to know his yes and helps you to know your no. You already know she's going to say she doesn't know what she wants to eat. You already know she knows she doesn't know where you want to go. So you always need to have five options in your back pocket, ready to go at any given moment. I think women too, like we know what we want to eat. Right. We, we just don't want to make the decision. Right. <laughs> I would like you to make the decision. She, Thank she, you. She doesn't want you to what? Make the decision because, man, we need to be 
decisive. Yeah. All right? So a woman will ask you, you know, where are we going as a family? What are we doing? And if you're not a man of vision, unnegated by character, your answer is going to be, I don't know. So you've got to have a vision and the character to back it up for you to be decisive because even God calls us to be decisive. Mm. Okay? When we look at... I'm not as tacky as uh, my friend here. That was tacky, not tacky. See? I heard tacky. I was like, am I tacky? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what we're saying? It's tacky. Yeah, she's in, super excited. I just in, translated in, her. In, <laughs> in Zimbabwe... <laughs> Everybody understands that to mean what I just said. So if you can find the Zimbabwean dictionary, you'll see it in there. Oh, help me find this, Haley. I, I got you right here. Right here. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Matthew 5 and 37. Matthew chapter 5 and 37, we find, I should have written this better, huh? Make sure you say that in the comments. He should have written his notes better. Okay, Matthew 5 and 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So I need to be decisive. Whenever I try to put on and tag on and not know exactly where it is that God is leading me to. And I lose that decisive edge. And the reason that makes me lose the decisive edge is because I'm not walking on the wide road. But the narrow path always helps me to stay having the decisive edge. Consistency. The Bible says, be ready and prepared in season and out of season. This is what my mom told me. Um, probably when I was six, she started saying this. All the way through my growing up years. She said, always make sure whenever you leave, wherever you're going, that you go straight home. That you create a pattern that you arrive home a specific time and when you're not getting home at that time make sure that your wife knows she was teaching me the art of consistency and she said the day that you don't get home at that time and you don't call or say anything your wife will be as worried as ever because she will know that you have created consistency consistency is going to build trust. Mm -hmm. If you lack in consistency, it is very easy to be mistrusted and now we're back onto the wide road. And when you're on this wide road because of a lack of consistency, then we don't know who you are. We don't know who you are presenting yourself to be. Therefore, we don't know which responsibilities to align you with. Again, people often assume. Again, you've got to look back at all these things. 
God, help me to have more faith. Oh, God, help me to trust. God, help me to have hope. God, help me to love more, to find love, or to be in love. But if you lack this, how do we know who we are loving? That's why God is amazing in that He demonstrates His love in that while I am inconsistent, He still loves me. That's good. But He builds me up to be as consistent as I can be. Because in that, I give you definition of who I am. And when you, I give you that definition of who I am as a man, then it is easy for you to tell me what my responsibility is. But if you do not see that definition of who I am because of my inconsistency, then what will you entrust me with? So that's the importance of consistency. Strength. Romans chapter 6. I didn't give you the scripture. Can you, what is the scripture on Consistency. On consistency. It's 2 Timothy 4.2. Okay, 2 Timothy 4.2 on consistency. Strength is Romans chapter 6 and verse 10 and 13, right? Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Okay. 10 and 13, yeah. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Having done, no, no, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And so for me to be strong, and this is, this is beautiful. I'm, I'm going to tie this all up in a, in a nice bow, man. I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hitting the men a little bit because I'm, I'm hitting myself, but we're going to make it nice at the end. Be strong in the Lord. So for me to have the strength in character, for me to have the strength that I need to possess, it's going to happen in Christ. So when you pray to God, when you read your Bible, when you do the things that you are called to do, verse 13 then says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Because when you have invested, this that you're doing right now is putting an investment into your own life. Just coming into this class and learning. And, 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 I, and I can already know that if you're able to come to this class today, you're probably going to another class somewhere else. And you're probably going to invest in your life to go to another class again in the future. So you're already putting investment in yourself. But then it's going to be go time. It's going to be game time. And at that point, it is not time to lose your head. It is time to be able to stand and be firm in the things that God has already deposited in you. Again, the challenges of life are coming to say, how much investment have you put in? How much time have you put in to develop who you are, to show who you are? And so strength is going to come from me being in Christ. When I step out of Christ, I lose identity. I lose purpose. I lose vision. I lose my yes and my no. And I find myself again on that white path. When a man poses strength, it speaks of security. The Bible says, when you are trusted with little, you can also be trusted with much. Write this down. How you do anything is how you do everything. Mm 
It's good. How you do anything is how you do everything. So when you're cutting corners over here, chances are you're going to cut corners over there. So you need to be aware of your strength in Christ. And then it speaks about the armor of God, truth and righteousness and peace and all that. And so I encourage you to read all of Ephesians uh, chapter 6. The beautiful thing about this, the Bible will teach us, it is not by might, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. If you lean into God, if you lean into Christ, then you become the picture of this. The Bible says, be holy or be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. How do I achieve perfection? Well, I have been crucified with Christ. It is I that no longer lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. Yeah. The life I live in the body or in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has a vision for me. You see that? So it is no longer me that can live with the, being decisive, being consistent, and being strong. But it is Christ in me. Yeah. And for me to have the fortitude, for me to have the courage to be able to live this way, I've got to see that God has a vision for me. And when that vision is, when I am able to see that vision, then I can activate my faith. So, when you go about life as leaders, young man, and old man Daniel, <laughs> when you go about life, all the challenges that you're going to face are going to try and destroy these three things in you. And just remember that point who you are. Just remember that point, who God is. You may cry, you may weep. The Bible says weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The reason it only endures for a night is because during the night is when you are searching. During the night is when you're trying to discover, when you're trying to find. But when the morning comes, I know who I am and I know whose. So you gonna Yeah, so I do want to say this, and I, I love that you're touching on the three those three things that men tend to face in leadership. And I want to say all, all this to every all the women in the room too. Like we face that too. I think we just face it in a completely different way. Um, I don't know, I may be speaking just for myself in this realm, but I feel like when it comes to decisiveness, we all pretty good at that. <laughs> I feel like with consistency, we all know our expectations of that as women. And I think with strength, we often know our strength as well. I do think, though, in leadership, these are things that we will face. I think that it'll be different than the way that men face them. Um, but I think that solely comes from the way that the enemy wants to take down leaders in this world. So, love that Tonari touched on men and leadership. I want to touch on 
women in leadership and challenges that women face in leadership, but men don't check out because we all work with each other. So I think it's important that we both understand both sides to the story, right? I want to start this with a personal story. <laughs> um, when I was in high school, I knew that I was called to ministry. Like, I met God, I met the Holy Spirit, and I, I literally just didn't want to do anything else with my life. Like, one day I wanted to do one thing, and then I remember meeting God the next day, and I was like, no, nope, I'm going to do ministry. And I told all my friends that. They were like, what? What happened? And I was like, dude, I'm not kidding. Like, I'm doing this. <laughs> that was my dream. I always told people that. I'm going to be a pastor someday. I'm going to be a youth pastor someday. Like, I'd always say that. And it's kind of funny because sometime in college I decided, you know what, never mind, I'm not going to do that. And God was like, ha-ha. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I was uh, in choir in, in high school, and I had this vocal teacher who I really trusted. She was awesome. I don't know if y'all have ever done music private lessons before, but it's like really close. You're like in this tiny room with this person. So it's really good if you, you like, like them and they're like cool. And she was, she was a great person. She was a great teacher. Um, and she asked me one day towards the end of my like senior year, I think. And she said, you know, Hey, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I'm going to Bible school and I'm going to be a pastor, probably a youth pastor. And I kid you not. She literally said to me, Nah, you can't do that. She was like, you should be a children's pastor. Like, no one's going to let, you know, like, men should be youth pastors. And I was just like, what? Like, <laughs> my high school brain was like, I don't know how to take that. Like, I don't know what, I, I was trying to think of something to say back, and I just couldn't. And I was like, is that true? Like, I have no idea. And so that threw me into this um, confused little state where I began to ask this question, and that is, what does the Bible really say? about women in leadership. What does God really think about that? Because I know what this private lesson teacher thinks about that, but <laughs> I thought one thing, and anyway. So I went down this whole path and, and really searched this out, and I think often, especially when it comes to ministry, we hear this argument about Paul and all these things that Paul has said in the epistles um, concerning women in leadership. And, and there's a ton of them. Like, I don't, I don't even want to get that deep into it, but one of the biggest ones that people talk about is 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking to the church of Corinth, and he talks about women not speaking up in assembly. I want to point out a few things that I found out on this journey. And I want to point these out not to um, undermine the epistles or the Apostle Paul or anything. I want to point these out because when I found these, I thought, oh, cool. Whew. <laughs> I can still do this thing that God is calling me to do because I don't fully understand this passage. And I don't think anybody does. You see... 1 Corinthians is where those words are found. And you can go look at them. I think it's 1 Corinthians, I don't know, 15? Somewhere in there. But side note about Corinthians, what we as Westerners call 1 and 2 Corinthians is actually 2 and 4 Corinthians. Because the epistles, the letters of the apostles, are actually letters. Like they're not written as Bible textbooks. And they're not written as biblical manuscripts. They're written as letters. Like Hi, Paige, I'm writing you a letter. Just like that. Paul wrote these letters to people. All of them did. So when we were talking about 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the Bible, I hate to burst your bubble, but those are actually 2nd and 4th Corinthians, which means there's a 1st and 3rd Corinthians that we don't actually have, and that also means there's four response letters from the Corinthians that we don't actually have. Is everyone following with me here? It's a little confusing, but it's like kind of blowing, it blew my mind when I figured that out. I was like, wait a minute. There's so much to this story that we don't know. And I'm not saying that we can totally discount that and just, oh, whatever, well, we can do whatever. Like, I think it's worth looking into and looking up. But I don't think that it justifies this conversation I had 
forever ago, right? Um, I want to show you an example of this. So the epistles are letters, like I just said. And what we have is one half of the letter, the letter that the writer is writing to the receiver. We don't have the receiver's response, and so therefore we can just read the letter. What that's kind of like is like if you took my phone and you went to my text conversation with my sister and you just read the blue ones, which would be like this. Ha ha ha, it's from two to four on October 17th. It's a Saturday, whoop. <laughs> like, do y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, I mean, okay, maybe like you could put pieces together, like it's an event on Saturday from two to four. Like, but you don't know where it is or what I'm talking about or what she said or why we were talking about that. And in a way, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, the epistles are kind of like that. Those letters are things that we only get one side of. So to take that one scripture and say, nope, no women in ministry, no women in leadership, blah, 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 blah is actually kind of extreme because we don't understand it. And I think it's worth looking into. If you're interested in that, go study that out because you can find out so much about it. But I just wanted to point that out at the beginning because I think when it comes to leadership, sometimes women, we like hold back because we feel like, well, I don't know, like I really don't understand that. And that's how I felt in that moment when that lady told me that as a kid. I was like, yeah, I don't know what to say to you. Like, I really don't know what's right. So I want to point that out because I thought that was such a cool revelation. Um, besides the very little that we know about that passage in Corinthians, women are in leadership in the Bible all the time. Like all the time. Women were disciples of Jesus. Women were prophets. Women were judges in Judges. Jesus appeared first to women after he resurrected. God even compares himself to a woman multiple times. He also compares Israel to a woman multiple times. Think about compassion when I was talking about Exodus. He compares himself to a mother, right? A woman. And then finally in Genesis, when God created woman, he uses this word to talk about her that's only ever used again in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit. God's not afraid to compare himself to a woman. Um, come on, somebody. Like, I think it's cool. Um, <laughs> Pastor Josh has a really great message on this. He did it last, I think it was two years ago. It was in the You Asked For It series. It's on our website. It's all about women and leadership in the Bible. It's so good. So I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it if you're really interested in that. But I just wanted to start there. In summary, women are important to God, and God uses and works through women constantly. A common challenge that we face in ministry or leadership is the misunderstanding of what our role is. Um, and to really understand, man, you would have to like research out Corinthians and all the letters and be able to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And the reality of people who have actually done that is very, very, very small. So here's what I want you to take from here. Women or men who work with women in leadership, there's a few things I want you to walk away with. No matter where you find yourself, whatever work culture you're in, or maybe you're not in a work culture, maybe you're in a volunteer culture, or you're at home, or you're your own employee, or whatever, if at all possible, this is point number one, work at peace. It's in Romans 12, if it's all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Work at peace. I know we're gonna run into people in this world, like when I was in that room with that woman telling me as a high schooler I can't do what I feel like God was calling me to do. That doesn't mean that I need to just like guns fire, like go crazy, you know? Work at peace with them, work at peace. 
to try to come to an understanding. If somebody doesn't understand what God is doing and the vision that he's put in your life, whether you're a woman or whether you're a man working with women, work at peace. Number two, live and lead like Jesus. If you're not in a great environment and feel like you're facing tons of challenges, as a woman in leadership, lead like Jesus. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is about to go to the cross, I love this. He's with his disciples, and Peter takes out a sword and slashes this guy's ear off. Like, you all have heard that story, right? Takes out a sword, and he just goes, whoosh, slashes one of the guard's ears off. And Jesus is like, what the? No, put that away. Tells Peter to put away the sword, and he heals the guy. Um, but he does that because Jesus didn't come to offend. Like, he didn't come to start wars and start fights and battle everybody. That's not the point of his ministry. And he never did that. In this one moment, one of his disciples does that. And he's like, yo, we are not about that. That is not what we do. Um, so live and lead like Jesus. Don't come to offend. Speak the truth and live wisely. And number three, live confidently. Lead confidently. And know what God says first. That's whether you lead in this world as a mom, whether you lead as a teacher, as a small group leader, as a CEO, or maybe you're just an employee. Lead with the confidence of Christ. If the Bible is so confident of women in leadership, then you can be confident in leadership too. And also men, you can be confident of the women in leadership that are around you. Because Jesus doesn't stop to not use women. Like, God cares about this, and so we can too. Um, and I think, I think too, it's important to just... Remember those things that you were saying, Condoray. Decisiveness, consistency, strength, building your character, having the vision, building the character, and being equipped for the challenges that are coming. Absolutely.